Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we continue our study on the seven churches mentioned in the second and third chapters of this book. Tonight we're looking at the church of Philadelphia. Next Wednesday night, we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. Then during the month of March, we'll take a break from the book of Revelation. We're going to focus the whole month on missions, have missionaries coming, and going to each message Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they're dealing with missions. Then we'll come back to our study in Revelation in the month of April. So keep that in mind. Look, if you would, please, in Revelation, if you've got chapter 3, back up in chapter 1, please. Chapter 1 of Revelation. In verse 19, it has the threefold division of this book. Chapter 1, verse 19. Here, the Lord Jesus speaks to John, says, Write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. And the things which are. That's chapters 2 and chapter 3. Then it says, And the things which shall be hereafter. That's chapter 4 to the end of the book. And that's the part, the parts of the book most people are interested in because it's talking about the future. Beginning, chapter 4 begins with the rapture of the church. So when we come back in April, we're going to begin talking about the rapture of the church when the Lord takes his saints home to be with him. And so you don't want to miss that. Again, that's the first Wednesday in April. We will begin our study on the things which shall be hereafter. Now go back to chapter 3, please. Chapter 3. Tonight, oh, before any further... Last Sunday, I, last Sunday, last Wednesday, I did a study on the Lamb's Book of Life, and uh, I, many of you were taking notes, but you, I was talking faster than you can write, and I asked you if you'd like a copy of my notes, and many of you, several of you raised your hand, so uh, I have eight more here. If you want, this is exactly what was on the screen last week on the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're interested in this, I'll put it on the front uh, seat here, and it's every man for himself, <laughs> and uh, two people already got one. And so I want to make sure if we run out and you want more, I can always print more. But everything that was on the screen and we covered last week is right here. I think it's four pages worth of our study on the Lamb's Book of Life. All right, Revelation chapter 3. Let's begin verse 7, please. Revelation 3, verse 7. We're going to read 7 through 13. Then we're going to back up and look at this message that the Lord gave to the church in Philadelphia. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, please. says, And to the church, angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the keys of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast, denied, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Verse 10, because... Thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, 
that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go uh, no he shall go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So let's back up. I hope you got your notes in your prayer sheet there. If you take those out. And we're going to begin in verse 7 again. Notice here, in verse 7, the Lord gives a description of himself as he does in every church. He begins, he said, he talks unto the angel of the church, and the angel is the pastor. Remember the word angel means messenger. He's not talking about an angelic being like Michael or Gabriel. He's speaking to the pastor, the one who brings the message to the church. And it says, unto the pastor, the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, and notice he gives us three descriptions of himself. Christ gives three descriptions of himself. Now, if you were going to describe Christ to somebody, well, how would you describe him? Here the Lord describes himself. He gives us three descriptions of himself. First of all, um, he says, These things saith, letter A, he that is what? Holy. Notice of all the things Christ could have said about himself, he said, he that is holy. The word holy means pure, blameless, righteous, without sin. That he that is holy. This attribute of God is mentioned more than any other in the Old Testament. Think about that. Of all the attributes of God, which one do you love the most? I don't know about you. I like the fact that he's good. How many is grateful that God's good? Or that he's loving. He's kind. He's merciful. All these attributes of God. But the one that God wants you and I to remember about him is that he is holy. In fact, hold your finger right here. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 6, please. Isaiah chapter 6. Here we have the angels in heaven giving us a characteristic of God himself. Isaiah chapter 6, a very familiar passage in verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1. Again, the attribute, this attribute that he is holy is mentioned more than any other attribute of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, please. In verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. Verse 2, above it, above the temple, above the, uh, excuse me, the throne, stood the seraphim. Seraphims are angelic beings, each had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. And notice in verse 3, notice the attribute of God that the angels emphasize. Look at it with me, please. And one cried unto another and said, Good, good, good. The Lord our hold is good. And say that. Now, I love that God is good, aren't you? But he didn't emphasize that. He didn't say he's loving, though he is loving. He didn't say merciful, merciful, merciful. So what do the angels say about God? Those in the presence of God, what do they say about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, Almighty, the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. So of all the attributes God wants us to remember the most about him, 
is that he is perfect, righteous, without sin. He is holy. Next, the next thing he wants us to uh, know, number two, is we are commanded to have this same quality. As believers, we are commanded to have the same quality. You need, do not turn there, but I'll read the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says this. It said, but as he which hath called us is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Again, I find it interesting. Of all that, he didn't say be good because I'm good. He didn't say be loving because I'm loving. He didn't say be kind because I'm kind. Now, that's, we should always have those in our qualities in our life. But here he emphasized, Christian, be holy because God is holy. If there's ever need for God's people to live a holy, separate, righteous life, it's today. Because our world is just the opposite of that. The next characteristic that Christ said about himself, here in a description he gave himself in verse 7, he said, he that is holy, next thing, and he that is true. He that is true. Mentioned there again in verse uh, 7. He that is holy, next thing, he that is true. The word true there means he that is a fountain of truth, who cannot lie. From all truth proceeds. My friend, our God is true. When he says something, you can know it to be true. God is true. The Bible says, let, man, let God be true and every man be a liar. Because man lies, but God never does. How many know John 14, 6? Christ said, he said, I am the way, the what? The truth, the life. No man comes to follow by, by me. That Jesus Christ is truth. Hold your finger here in Revelation. Go now to the couple of books before that. First John. First John. And right before Revelation, you got Jude. Before June, you got 3rd John. Before that, 2nd John. Now, 1st John. 1st John, chapter 5. And notice in verse 20, here is the emphasis of Christ. And notice three times in this one verse, it refers to our God as a true God. John, 1st John, chapter 5, verse 20. It says, And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given unto us an understanding that we may know him that is what? True. And we are in him that is true. Even his son, in his son Christ, this is the what? True God and eternal life. So three times in one verse refers to our God as being true. Can that be said about you? Are, do you tell the truth? Are you a truthful person? I'm so glad that our God always tells the truth. The third thing about God, about Christ, go back to Revelation. The third thing we see in the book of uh, the description about Christ in verse 7. Again, it says, an angel of the church uh, to uh, Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. And notice the next description, he that hath the key of what? The key of David. He that openeth, no man shutteth, and shutteth, no man can openeth. The key of David there. Let me give you, again, if you have your Bibles, I have your Bibles with you. Hold your finger. Go now to Isaiah, please. Isaiah. 
Here's where that phrase, the key of David, comes from. Jesus Christ is holy. He is true, but also he has the key of David with him. What is the key of David? Isaiah 22, 22. Notice what it says here, and you'll see the very same phrase. Isaiah 22, 22, it says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. The key to the house of David. This is, the word key refers to that of authority. Of authority or power. That's what the word key represents. Authority and power. The key to the house of David. This is the authority to admit or refuse admittance in the king's presence. Jesus applied this terminology to himself as one who can determine who will and can enter his future kingdom. He has the key. So he is holy, he is true, and he has the key of David, representing he has the authority and the power to open and shut heaven to whom he desires. And of course, he opens heaven to those who trust him as Savior, those who have eternal life by receiving Christ as Savior. Now, that's number one. That's the description. Now, number two, look this time at the commendation. Here the Lord commends this church in verse 8 and verse 9. Back in uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, look what he says in verse 8. He says, I know thy works. Remember we talked about, he said that to his church. And he says that about you. Do you know the Lord knows your works? He knows what you do. Whether it's good or bad, he knows that. He knows thy works, and I know thy works. And behold, I have set before thee an open door. He's speaking to the church of Philadelphia. I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So first of all, in the commendation, in the reference, he says, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. He's talking about they, uh, as a combination, they have took advantage of opportunities. That's a reference that they have taken advantage of the opportunities the Lord has given him them. They took advantage of opportunities. I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. If he shuts the door, no man can open it. And he opened a door unto them, and they took advantage of it. And this door was an opportunity of service. This door was an opportunity of service. Yeah, I believe the verse will be on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. So talking about a door of service, the Lord's opened unto this church. And notice three of them here. First of all, it's a door to reach certain people. It's a door to reach certain people. In Acts 14, 27, it says, And how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So the Lord opened the door unto the Apostle Paul to reach the Gentiles. When God opens the door, no man can shut it. The next door, a door to reach a certain area. Not only to reach certain people, the Gentiles, but a certain area. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Talking about a certain area of Troas. So to certain people, the Gentiles, a certain place, an area of Troas. And number three, a door to share the gospel. A door to share the gospel. In Colossians 4, verse 3 and 4, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of what? Of utterance. Speaking. To speak the mystery of Christ. How many of you have a loved one or friend or fellow neighbor that you have a heart that they may come to Christ? That they might get saved? What do you need to pray? The Lord, open opportunity. Open door opportunity to share with them. Look for an opportunity. Say, Lord, open opportunity that I may share the gospel with them. And by the way, the Lord wants them saved more than you want them saved. <laughs> so just say, Lord, please give me an opportunity to open my mouth to share the gospel. And when you pray that, look for it. Look for an opportunity. And when an opportunity opens, take advantage of it. Share what Christ has done for you. So if God opens the door, no man can shut it. So they took advantage of the opportunity. That's first commendation. The second commendation, though small in strength, they had accomplished great things. This church, he noticed, he said, thou hast little strength. You ever feel like you have little strength? This was characteristic of this church. However, they had accomplished great things for the Lord. What did they accomplish? Number one, they had kept God's word. Though they had little strength, they had kept God's word, it says there in that verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 said, Thou hast kept my word. The word kept there means that is a military term used to guarding or defending it. By the way, do you guard and protect God's word? How about in your own life? Do you set aside time to spend time with God and his word? If you have time to that, do you guard it, protect it? Protect the time you can be in his word? They had little strength, but they have kept his word. And they had much temptation to compromise, to, to do away with it, or throw it away, but they kept his word. The next thing they accomplished, they had not denied his name. They had not denied his name. The latter part of verse 20, uh, of 7 there, it's, it, talks, it talks about the way they Verse 8, I'm sorry, thou hast kept my word and has not denied my name. The word denied means to reject, refuse, or disavow. Now, look at me, please. There's two different ways a Christian can deny Christ. There's a way of, I call, commission, and the way of omission. Commission is outright denying his name. Can you think of someone in the Bible who outright denied Christ? Peter did, remember that? Three times opportunity to speak out for him. And they said, are you the one to follow him? He said, I don't even know who you're talking about. And that, that is what I call a sin of commission. You actually commit a denying Christ. And I, I would doubt, of course, Peter did that because he felt threatened. Maybe he felt like his life was threatened because they just arrested Christ. And now they said, aren't you one of his followers? And he said, not me. <laughs> and so maybe sometimes we might deny Christ out of fear. But I don't think... Probably most of us, maybe none of us, never outwardly said, I don't know him. 
but we do by omission, by keeping silent. Have you ever had an opportunity to share Christ but kept silent? I have. Opportunity, I mean, I even felt the prompting of the Lord to share Christ with someone or a situation where you can speak out for Christ. But out of fear of rejection, I mean, made fun of, or just whatever the reason why, you deny Christ by omission, by keeping silent. I remember when I just, when I felt uh, working with some of my friends that they knew I was a Christian and I was going to quit my job working for the telephone company and I was going to go into the ministry, go into the Bible college. And I was out with all my friends. They took me out to lunch and, and just a, a kind of going away party. And, and uh, they, uh, during the meal, they, they asked me, they said, uh, Dave, why, why are you quitting your job? This is such a good job. You're a good worker. And I know you love your work and we, we love working with you. And uh, why are you quitting your job? What an opportunity I had to share Christ. But I just said, well, I just felt like that's what I want to do. I left there with my head shamed. Oh, Lord, forgive me. What an opportunity to share Christ. And I denied him by omission. Have you done that? Oh, Lord, forgive us. And I, I said, Lord, I said, by your grace, never again. Never again. But I want to do that. And then the next day, my two supervisors took me out to lunch. And they want to know why I was quitting. And I told them. <laughs> I shared the gospel with both of them. Because I remember the day before, Lord, never again. So I want to encourage you. Though you may not have done like Peter. Lord, I don't know who he is. But by omission that we just simply keep our mouth shut. You ever heard the term silence is golden? Sometimes it's, it's just plain yellow. We ain't just uh, out of fear. So there's two ways. However, these believers have never done that. You have not denied my name. Would the Lord be able to say that about you? Have you kept his word? Have you not denied his name? And notice this accomplishment is in the midst of much opposition in verse 9. This accomplishment is, meant, is in the midst of much opposition. In verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. So their enemies were false teachers of Satan. Their enemies were false teachers of, of Satan. So I'll make them, talking about their enemies, the ones they have stood strong, kept his word with, has not denied his name of the synagogue of Satan. So there's not just a bunch of uh, casual people. These were enemies of Satan himself, that they accomplished great deeds of, keep not, of keeping God's word and not denying his name. But also let it be, one day they, their enemies will acknowledge the truth. One day their enemies will acknowledge the truth. Look what it says in the rest of verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make them. Who are them? The, those of the synagogue of Satan, their enemies. I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, I, I went over that verse and verse over again. I will make them to come and worship at thy feet. Does that mean he's going to make the, the enemies worship them? 
course, it doesn't mean that. The word worship has an idea of reverence or, uh, or, or respect. And these enemies of them will make fun of them, laugh at them, persecute them. And what he's saying is one day, those who persecute you, your enemies will one day show reverence to you and, and, and know that I have loved thee. That it said that I come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. The day will come when all the opponents of the faith will have acknowledged of the truth. And then Christ declared, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That's what he said he would do to the enemies for the ones who persecuted these believers. Though they had not denied his name, though they have kept his word, the Lord is going to honor them. How are we doing time? Okay, number three. Number three, we saw the description Christ gave of himself. That he's holy, he's true, he has the keys of David, the commendation that they have not, they have kept his word and not denied his name. Now, number three, the rebuke. What did the Lord have to rebuke? He had nothing. No rebuke was given. There was nothing in this body of believers for which Christ could criticize. Wow. Could that be said about you? Could the Lord find something to rebuke you about in your life? Or would he have nothing bad to say about you? I hope that'd be true about our church, but I don't know. Hope that'd be true about me, but I don't know. The one who knows all things. But he had nothing which to rebuke them about. Wow, wasn't that a great compliment for them? Number four. Number four, we saw the description, the commendation, the, re the rebuke, which was none. Now the exhortation. The exhortation, verse 11, when he exhorted them to do, first of all, verse 11, he says, let's see, let's skip one, verse 10. I'm sorry, let me see. We covered verse. Verse 10, uh, we're starting verse 11. 11, okay, it says, Behold, I come quickly, hold thou fast, which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So the exhortation, first of all, he says, letter A, keep being faithful in the midst of compromise and opposition. Hold thou fast which thou hast. The faith you have, the testimony you have, that which you have in Christ, hold on to it. Keep being faithful in the midst of the compromise and opposition. Boy, is that not a good uh, exhortation for us in the world where there's so much sin and rebellion and uh, against God, even among many Christians where there's those that are compromising, God tells us to be, keep being faithful in the midst of compromise and opposition, faithful to God's word and Christ's name. The word hold thou fast means do not discard, do not let go, to keep carefully and faithfully, continue to hold and retain. So Christian Maybe you work in atmosphere with a lot of persecution, opposition. Maybe you're in a family, have other family members, relatives who mock you, make fun of you. And it's, it's a, a temptation to not speak out for the Lord, temptation not to take a stand. So what does God exhort you to do? Hold fast. Hold thou fast what thou hast. The next one, thing, exhortation, is not only being faithful, Keep being faithful, but also faithfulness retains one re rewards. 
Faithfulness retains one's rewards. The latter part of verse 11, he says, Hold thou fast what thou hast, that no man take thy what? Crown. A crown is one of the rewards the Lord offers those who serve him. And so one way we can retain that which God promises us is being faithful. And look very please. I believe that the well, word we can characterize the rewards God offers us, they're eternal rewards, which I believe you cannot lose rewards that God's already given you. But you can miss out on the ones he promises you <laughs> by compromise. So the rewards you have already obtained, I don't think he's going to take them away from you because they're eternal rewards. Like eternal life, he will not take it away from you. But when he says, hold thou fast thy crown, 2 John verse 1, 2 John chapter 1 verse 8, it said, look to yourselves, lest thou lose not the things which thou hast wrought, but that, but that we receive a what? Full reward. So God said, I don't think he's going to take away that which you've already obtained, but you miss out on something he's promised you, that you're going to miss out on a full reward. So he's exhorting them to be faithful in the midst of compromise opposition, and faithfulness retains one's rewards. Number four. Or number five, I'm sorry, number five. We saw the description, the commendation, the rebuke, and the exhortation. Lastly, the promise. The promise. And he gives a twofold promise, one to the church itself in Philadelphia, that he gives a promise to the all believers of all uh, of the universal church. But notice the promise he gave to the church of Philadelphia, which can also be to us. In verse 10, it's a deliverance from the tribulation period. Deliverance from the tribulation period. There is many different views on the tribulation, on the, uh, what, well, believers go through the tribulation. How many of you believe that Christians will go through the great tribulation? There's some do that some don't. There's good men that say we will go halfway through it. Some good men say we'll go all the way through it. There's some that believe, believe we won't go through any of it. And I, I believe we will not go through the tribulation at all. The, the rapture was called pre-tribulational rapture. And here's one of the strongest verses for that view. In verse 10, <coughs> verse 10, it says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, the hour of testing, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That our temptation is talking about the tribulation period. And here he tells them, I will keep thee from that hour of temptation, that tribulation period, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, let me be on the screen there. It says, For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath refers to the uh, tribulation period. God said he's not appointed you to that time period. He's going to remove his church, the body of Christ, from that before that occurs. Now, when we get to chapter 4, chapter 4 opens up with the rapture. And I encourage you, we're going to start that in the book in, in the month of April. We're going to talk about the, the rapture of the church before God pours out his wrath upon this world called the tribulation period, he's going to remove you and I from this earth 
at the rapture. So the, the first promise delivered from the tribulation period. And next, number two, Christ will come quickly. Christ will come quickly. He says in the first part of verse 11, Behold, I come what? Interesting, and we not have time to turn out because the time has run out. One of the last things when John wrote the book of Revelation, one of the last things he said, he said, even so, Lord Jesus, come what? Quickly. How many want the Lord to come quickly? And so we're going to talk more about that next time together. We'll finish this up next week, and we'll take up in the book on the church of Laodicea. But let's, let's close with this. Remember the description that Christ gave of himself? There were three of them, but I want to focus on the first two as we close. The first two things Christ said about himself, and I wonder if he can say about you. He said, he that is holy and he that is true. Can that be said about you? Can the Lord look at you and say, there is a holy, righteous, godly man. There is a holy, righteous, godly woman. Or would he say, there is a truthful man. There's a woman who always tells the truth. To many of us, he may, have to, he may not be able to say that. So if he can say that in you, praise the Lord and keep going right. But if, he, if the Lord cannot say that about you, why not make that right tonight? Why not as we close, say, Lord, forgive me for not being holy. Forgive me, Lord, for not being truthful. And whatever the situation is where you may not be truthful or may not be living a life that's clean before God, why not make it right tonight? Let's bow together, please. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, uh, this message was for the believer. And we saw a description that Christ gave of himself that I hope he can give about you. That the Lord is holy. He is a holy, holy, holy God. Righteous, pure, without sin. My friend, can that be said of you? He also said, he that is true. Can that be said about you? Are you a truthful, honest person? Do you always tell the truth? Even though it may cost you something? I pray that may be true of all of us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are holy, you are true. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness and cleansing for the times that we are not. Sometimes we're not the people we ought to be. Sometimes we don't live like we ought to live. Sometimes we're not truthful as we should be. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And Father, we confess our unrighteousness. We confess our lack of truth, that we may have your cleansing and forgiveness upon our lives. So, Father, now go with us. We go our separate ways. Bring us back next Sunday. We continue to study the most wonderful book of all books, the Bible itself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Join us next Wednesday night. We'll hopefully finish up on the churches, on the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Laodicea. And God bless you. You're dismissed.